Today we talk with Brett Fenton, Director of Art Group. Brett talks about how a tragic event shaped how he thinks about leadership. We also discuss his approach to leadership and advice for future leaders. Good day, listeners. Welcome to the show, where we get to know technology leaders on a personal front. We also talk about their careers, some of the big challenges they faced, and how they've overcome those challenges. Please help others find the show by rating us on your favorite podcast engine. Good morning, listeners. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm really excited to introduce Brett Fenton, Executive Director of the Art Group. Welcome, Brett. Thank you so much, Ernst. I've, I've uh, really been looking forward to our chat, and uh, you know, thanks for having me on the show. Brett, to start off, would you like to give our listeners a quick overview of your background and maybe Art Group? Yeah, sure. I've got a, a bit of a different background from people, you know, a lot of people who have gone into technology. Um, I, was a, I was a research, I started my life as a research scientist, uh, you know, over 20 years ago. And it wasn't for me, you know, and, and um, you know, we can sort of talk about that transition maybe maybe as we sort of move through the conversation. But I um, I took a job in a startup and learned a lot about technology by the skin of my teeth uh, very sort of very quickly. You know, it was it, it was a great immersion, but then it, it quickly moved past technology. And so I took on customer service and finance and sales and marketing and moved into a general sort of business management type role where I sort of happily lived for the next 15 years. Um, and, and we sold that registry for uh, $50.4 million in, in 2014, which was you know, a great outcome for, for the boys who owned it. And, and for me personally, it was a you know, nice, you know, nice achievement to, to get the business to that, that scale and, and successfully get it away. We were acquired by Melbourne IT, who were you know, one of the sort of very well-established brands you know, in the Australian technology market um, and you know, a, a major competitor of ours. Um, and I had a, a you know, going to, it was a funny transition. You know, I'd never, I'd only ever worked in a startup. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I'm in this sort of big corporate environment, public, you know, a public company listed on ASX. And I had to find my feet as, as an executive in sort of, you know, more, a more corporate life. Um, and I wasn't sure if it was you know, actually that my heart was in it, but, but off, you know, over the last couple of years, I've really fallen in love with it. You know, at, at the point of acquisition, you know, uh, the CEO who's been really, really supportive of me gave me two, two sort of options to take. One, one was in the customer side of the business, one was in the technology side of the business. Um, and I took the choice to, to, um, to go into the customer side of the business, mostly because at the time, you know, he'd indicated that we'd, they'd done a whole lot of acquisitions and, and uh, need someone to do all the integration work and, and that was gonna sit in technology. And um, you know, I'd done a lot of that with Net Registry, and I was kind of tired of it. And you know, customer side of the business, there were some really interesting projects to do there. And so I took took that on and found my way back into integration technology pretty quickly, as it turned out. Couldn't stay away. And and uh, so I've been I was a CTO for for the bed part of sort of three years, and then more recently this year, I've just moved back more into a general business uh, management role in a, in a sort of commercial uh, stream of the business. What Art Group does right now is you know it you know it, it's um, an aggregation of acquisitions that we've done. Melbourne IT were, were the, was the foundation of the business. Um, you know, domains and hosting at scale. You know, at the, at this stage you know, in, in that part of the business, which is the part of the business I look after, we have about four hundred thousand customers. But also moving that moving moving us away from that domain hosting base into more digital marketing type solutions, okay. websites for customers. But you know, helping those businesses succeed online is is where the, the smaller part of our business is. 
the other other the flip side of our business is the enterprise side, which is you know again based on a number of, of significant acquisitions. Outwear was one, Info Ready was one, and so big data analytics um, sort of at the top end of town. Customers like Qantas and ANZ uh, in that space, and then for the Outwear part of the business, mobile app development. And so much smaller customer base, you know, sort of two to 300 customers, but, but you know, it, it's sort of half the revenue in the business. So that's, that's how the, the, the sort of business splits up. Okay. Thank you for that. So it's, you touched on obviously your research background. Yep. So why research and then technology? Yeah. It's a story that that one starts in uh, 1975. My dad Never finished high school. He finished his his school his schooling in year nine, and and uh, my aunt at the time had a um had a industrial business, a scrap metal and recycling, and so my dad worked in that business. Had a traumatic industrial accident in nineteen seventy five. Now I was very young, and and um, you know he was told that he'd never um he'd never work again, and he'd be lucky to walk again, and you know and so he had this this long very long recovery and 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 sort of at some point he decided to educate himself and so he finished his school certificate and then his high school certificate by uh, correspondence and then did an undergraduate degree in uh, chemistry by correspondence and that sort of timing lined up to you know then when i did a phd he was getting more mobile and, and he was doing his phd while i was in high school all i heard about was chemistry 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 you know drove me crazy with it and so i got like there was quite a lot of pressure you know on me to you know to go into hard science but probably more explicitly chemistry and so i did that and, and did a degree you know a degree in chemistry and then um i traveled a little bit and i come back and you know the, the pressure still existed from from my parents to sort of you know to do something with that career and so i did, did a phd in the crazy world of uranium chemistry which was really enjoyable you know i, I you know i was funded by by the, the u.s nuclear regulatory commission you know and the, the work i found was meaningful and purposeful but the more I did it, the more I realised that my heart wasn't in it, you know. Um, and I was dealing with big data sets, and I was, you know, like, had the right quality of code, and, and you know, had to had to deal with the, the outputs of of large data. So it's all like Perl to to manipulate big data sets, you know. And, and it was a dot com boom, and I sort of made the decision to, to transition out, and you know, broke my broke my dad's heart a little bit, you know. And it took him a long time to to really, I think, understand why I made the choices I made. Um, but but there's sort of you know he's he, you know he's really happy that I've I've had a successful career now you know but at the time it was hard for him to understand why I'd moved away from you know this this career that I think he he envisaged that I'll you know go and do something you know profound in which it just wasn't for me. Yeah yeah. So with regards to technology, did you kind of just have you always had a passion for technology, or do you kind of transition just trans make that transition? Yeah, I've had always had a passion for problem solving. You know, even from a very young age and. You know, and so it didn't matter what the field, whether it was technology, you know, I was always tinkering as a kid, you know, it was electronics or math or, um, and so I, I just had that, that sort of curiosity. And, and I think the way that, you know, as I moved into a career in technology, the way that I got to explore that, you know, I think there's more opportunities to, to explore curiosity in technology, mm-hmm. especially, you know, the rate of change in, in the sort of the, the, the world we live in today, you know, fourth industrial revolution, you know, and you, and you sort of, you just think about things like, you know, there was no, you know, there was no sort of, you know, the, the iPhone's 10 years old, you know, and you think about, you know, try and think about how you live your life without a smartphone today, you know, and just that the rate of, of, of advancement is something that, you know, you get to solve these really amazing complex problems every day, which I, I really love. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so your research 
background, you've really touched on the problem solving and you've really touched on like big data and stuff like that. How, how else have you seen it help your career as you are now? Oh, yeah. Uh, look, you know, I've got no regrets at all. And, um, and I think it, learnt, it taught me how to research. It taught me how to structure a problem and solve a problem in a really rigorous, structured way. Taught me how to make, you know, database decisions. Um, and I think, you know, just, just in terms of business leaders today, I think, you know, you know, gut feel gets you so far, you know, but really being able to, to drill down, understand, you know, and measure the things that really matter and then and then drive performance through those things, I think, you know, is, is a skill that I'm really thankful for my background in research. But I also think, you know, just ex- taking a small idea and being able to explore and extend it is something that, that has also been been really useful. Mm. You know, what's the practical application of the work you're doing and, you know, look, thinking about, you know, lateral and tang- tangential sort of opportunities for that. And certainly application of technologies where, where you get to do, you know, that in real time every day. You know, you've got this great idea and, you know, you, especially as you connect with work with really smart people, like, oh, did you think about maybe you could apply that over, the, over here in something you've never, you know, some area or field or situation you never thought of. Just coming out of, I mean, the work I'd done as a research scientist, it had a really limited scope of, of applicability. And so I think one of the things I've enjoyed moving out of it, you know, it's given me a good foundation to be able to, you know, think laterally like that, but coming to the commercial world and being able to commercialize in real time really rapidly is something I really love. Okay. You, you actually launched a podcast within Art Group in itself. Yep. Tell us a little bit about what triggered that and what have you learned out of that process? Yeah, look, it's a really, it's a really uh, new thing for me. I've been doing it internally now for about uh, six months. I, you know, for me, you know, I, I believe that one of my major roles in the business is to give our people context and direction. So give them context of what's happening around them, you know, and so they understand why the work they do, that they're doing matters and why we're approaching particular situations or problems that we do. And then setting a course, you know, giving them, you know, a clear direction. Certainly not, I don't set the, I don't set the course, you know, I, I, don't, I set the direction, but I don't like chart the course, if you like. It's up to, you know, the, the teams to do. So, you know, the, the way I like to give people that context and direction is through really rich communication. And so I communicate a lot with our people, a lot of face-to-face, a lot of written communication, and I just want to try something different. Um, and and so the first time I did it was just an experiment. See how we went, and I you know it was sort of that quiet Christmas period. And you know I've, I've got a, a you know, colleague in the business, and, and I sort of said, hey, do you want to just do a quick run around? See who's here and might have an interesting story to tell, and we'll just test this out. And I experimented a lot with you know sort of how and why to, to work. And so we did it really you know really uh, you know sort of lo-fi to start with. Just had a had a really cheap microphone, used GarageBand, just sort of straight off the Mac, recorded all in one go, and then just pushed it out there. And, and the feedback was really great. You know, people really connected with it. And so then I just rolled with it. And, and I think the thing I really enjoyed about it, you know, is I can, I've got so much structure in the rest of my communications, which makes them effective, right? Like, you know, I've got a monthly cycle or a fortnightly cycle or a weekly cycle, you know, and you've got to, you know, work within that, that sort of framework. With a podcast, I do it whenever I feel like it. Okay. Um, so it's a bit more organic. And I think coming into it, the thing I like is, you know, I might have an idea, you know, like an idea I want to explore, but quite often when once you sit down with someone and start a conversation, what you get coming out of the podcast when you listen to it at the end looks nothing like what you thought, you know, come in with. And so it's kind of, you get this element of delight. It's unexpected and it's I find it really rewarding. And so, you know, it's something that I'd like to do more of. Um, we've actually got an official ARC podcast that gets published externally by... You know, this really talented 
leader we have in, in Melbourne, Paul Motion. Um, so I'm sort of, you know, also picking his brains as, as a little bit. Last podcast I did was, was uh, you know, a conversation with him where I got to learn a little bit about how he got into it. And it just kind of, it was nice just to connect with someone, you know, just to see some of the commonalities we'd had. We kind of both kind of had come into it slightly different ways, but I think we'd found uh, what we enjoyed in it was really similar. Yeah. I'm finding the the podcast community is being is really helpful. Yeah, you know, um, I think people get excited by hearing somebody else is is tackling that because I think a lot of people also find it daunting that that's not doing doing podcasts initially. So yeah, I, I found it. You know, it, it's one of the things I really love about it is you know I I think I've done sort of seven or eight now or seven or eight episodes of it now, and um, you know, generally. I'll have a small idea, you know, but it's not really hardwired. And by the time I sit down with someone, have a quick five-minute chat where you sort of might just plot, you know, a broad set of themes you might want to cover. You know, no, no, no real, you know, it's, it, it's certainly not planned out. There's no, there's no sort of run sheet of questions or anything like that. Mm. I record all mine in, in, you know, a single block, and, and I don't edit them, you know, or I don't post-produce them. You know, we just sort of push it straight out once it's done. They're pretty raw. Um, the whole thing, start to finish, is an hour. You know, and it's just a nice, sometimes really not nice way to close the day. You have a great conversation with someone that you, and you get to learn a little bit about them, their story. You get to leave the, you know, the office. You might have a really stressful day. You, you know, you kind of walk out feeling a bit of a buzz. You know, you produce something. There's a tangible output. You know, you've got you, you push it out, and, and you know the people in the business are listening to it, connecting with it. You know, then they're you know sort of pinging you. You know, generally straight after you've launched one, you've got, you've got a bunch of people saying, "Hey, I'd love to be on your next podcast," which creates a bit of a buzz internally. It's nice. Mm, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Now, from your actually, there was a Paul Motion interview that I uh, or discussion that I, I was listening to, and um, from that, I kind of picked up that you're you're very focused on people. Yep. Where does that stem from? It's something that, you know, I guess as I as I moved into business management with Net Registry, you know, I, I'd never I'd never had a course on business management, or, or you know, I certainly haven't got a degree or anything like that. Um, so I sort of had to figure it out as I as I went, and and I really liked, you know, the mechanics. I, I saw success of business, or the success I had to drive out of business, financial performance, really being a, you know, I could break it down into a, you know, a series of. of of, of activities and objectives, you know, in a, in a really management style way. And we're getting, you know, I was getting really good outcomes from that. About 10 years ago, I, I had a, an, a, a young guy who worked for me um, and, and tragically took his own life. Um, and that was really where it, it opened my, I guess, my eyes up to, uh, to leadership as opposed to management. It's not the same. And you start to have that realization that the work you do, you know, impacts people. And, and, and you know, the, 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 the young guy who, who who worked for me? Who, who uh, had you know, tragically suicided? You know, it was unrelated here. It had a whole lot of, of, of you know things outside of work. But I started to think about, well, you know, what if I, what if my job was, you know, not to drive performance in the business? What if my job was to create um, a culture where people could thrive, thrive and reach their potential? And on the basis of that, you get outcomes and performance in your business. And so, it was quite a mindset shift for me. And I was really lucky that when we were acquired by Melbourne IT. Martin Mercer, the, the CEO, that just appointed him, you know, had a real passion about people. His first executive appointment was a chief people and culture officer. And Amy Rickson, who, that, was, um, that was who he brought in in that particular role and function, yeah, again, had, had a really deep passion about leadership. And so they, they brought leadership consultants in. So all of a sudden I got to, you know, I was drinking from the fountain quite a lot. Um, and I found it, like I just find the people side of what I do today so rewarding. 
you know, creating a culture where where you know people um, are motivated, inspired, is is something that 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 makes me feel good as well. You know, it's I think they they you know they get something really positive out it out of it, but the business gets something really positive out of it. You know, I think if you create a, a culture of, of high performance that, that's mm. done in a way that's you know is sustainable and, and a developmental culture. Especially in, in the in the world we live in today, right? There's a there's this crazy war for talent, you know, and and you want to give your people a reason to stay, not to go, and, and so yeah, the, the the people leadership thing is something that I've certainly over the last five years, you know, has been you know a part of. It, it, that's probably been the biggest developmental part of of, of of my journey, you know, over the last twenty years, I'd say. But but it's probably also been the part that I've. You know, as I've moved through it, I found hard, you know, but I've really enjoyed it. It's been really, I've got a deep satisfaction out of it. It's really nice. So, Brett, talk to me a little bit about, you're talking about creating a strong team culture. What is your approach on when you come into a new company or a new team or anything like that? Yep. How do you start building that? I've got my way, you know, which is, I'm not sure if it's a, a good or a bad way. It's just a way. Um, you know, and I've done this now twice in the last sort of two and a bit years. You know, I just you know I kicked off a you know a session with a you know a new leadership team in technology, and then on the back of that, then then a new leadership team in the what we call the M three part of our business, which is the middle of the mass market, the part that I look after. I'm a real devotee of Patrick Lencioni as a you know for just philosophy of leadership. I start to think about what I see in a lot of teams is they they jump straight into the to do list. What are the what are the things that we need to achieve? To get the outcomes we want, so they create a to-do list and then they measure progress against that, or they measure the you know the expected outcomes that they'd had, and if they're getting that or not getting that, then they shuffle their to-do list, right? And so with the teams, you know, I generally start with you know a, more of a lateral hierarchy of priorities. You know, I, I have a belief that the performance of any organisation, the ceiling of performance of of, of any organisation is the performance of a leadership team, and so you know. And there's always going to be exceptions, right? Like, you know, you may well find a company that's doing really well with a really poorly performing leadership team or vice versa, you know. But I think generally it balances out that, you know, if you've got a high-performance organisation, you've probably got a high-performance leadership team, you know, in place there. And so what's the quality of leadership that team is providing, you know, is one of, you know, one, one part of that, what's the performance of the team, um, what's the what's the organisational health look like, the culture of the organisation? You know, how do we approach strategic planning? I think, you know, they're the kind of things that I try and get teams to think about before I come in and start saying, well, okay, now what's our, you know, what's our nine-day plan? What's our to-do list? You know, what's our agenda for the next 12 months, for example? I think those things become outputs as opposed to, you know, start to think about team performance. And, and Lencioni's got a really, you know, simple model, you know, five dysfunctions of a team. And I like to, you know, I sort of, get teams to connect into that like it's a really simplified model you know that starts with hey as a team we have to start with trusting each other and so in how to develop trust in a team and it's another area that that you know as i talk to teams you know you start to you know ask the question of them generally if i ask people you know who are already in a team you know how long does it take to establish trust i always say you've got to earn trust you've got to earn the right to have trust and i kind of again there's my question is Back to the teams, it's generally, you know, do you have to earn trust or can we just freely give trust with some guardrails around it? You know, here are the things that would break trust. You know, let's not do that. And let's just start, you know, by, by trusting before we go on to the next step. And again, you find some people just, you know, dive straight into that. Other people are sort of more, you know, they carry their baggage from their last job, their last team, you know, and, and or, or, or whatever. And they've got, you know, they've got their own storyline that, that sort of holds them back from freely giving trust and just 
you know, starting with performance. But, you know, for me, that's a starting point of, of how we, you know, of how we develop performance in turn. Okay, okay. And then you touched on strategy a little bit earlier. Yep. So how do you, how do you start by determining a strategy? Yep. And then clearly articulating a direction? Yep. You know, what's your process there? Yeah, look, I think the sort of roles that I've worked in sort of most recently have been, I've, my, my strategy has to obviously be complementary to the, the strategy of the overall organisation. And so, you know, the first thing I think you have to do is start to understand what that is. You know, what are the parts that, you know, where you need to provide supporting services, you know, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're in any sort of technology leadership role, generally, you know, you're not defining the overall strategy for the, for the organisation, right? Like you've got some complementary role to play. So you've got to start with understanding, you know, what, where is it they're trying to get to? And then build something that, that dovetails into that is, is I think, the, the, the first part of it. You know, when I think, once I start to think about strategy, I flip my thinking on this a little bit. You know, Martin Mercer introduced um, a strategy called uh, playing to win, um, which it's basically the answer to, strategy is the answer to five questions and it's about choices and it talks about, it's a mixture of creativity and rigor, you know, kind of that piece of work, um, you know, is used by companies like Procter & Gamble to develop, you know, their strategy. It starts with the questions that you have to answer are things like, what do we want to achieve? How are we going to do it? What are the capabilities we need, etc. It's so pr- it's pretty simple. But more recently, there's an Australian author called Jason Fox, and he talks about finite, infinite games. Um, and he he had quite a lot of commentary about the playing to win framework because playing to win, you know, sort of already starts to I guess indicate there's a start and a finishing strategy, and that you can you know you can win. But the the reality is there's lots of companies that have won at a point in time. But then become irrelevant, and then really struggled for you know long periods of, you know where where they haven't been competitive. Microsoft would be a great example of that. You know they were so dominant in the eighties and nineties, lost their lost their way a little bit when they, you know missed the internet boat I think, and probably the cloud boat to a certain extent. You know now now you look at the way they that that you know over the last sort of ten years they've reinvented themselves and become you know sort of a powerhouse again. I think strategy is something that's got to evolve, and it's a it, it's an infinite game, right? Like it, it, there's no start and there's no finish. And so, you know, trying to get teams to come in and think about, you know, what are our horizons, you know, and I've just gone through a process, you know, with my leadership team thinking about, you know, what does now to end of next year look like, you know, and then, but, and, and you've got to put more constraints around that, you know, like time constraints, resource constraints, um, opportunity constraints. But then if we want, want to start to, you know, reimagine what our business will be disruptive in the way we think beyond the end of next year, what might that look like? And that's a more unconstrained view of the world. So getting the team together or getting the teams together, you know, and seeding those conversations, curating them, and then distilling the outcomes from that is kind of how I like to approach it. And like I've got, you know, obviously, you know, the challenge always is, you know, when you're doing that with a team, not to flavour the conversation too much. You know, you go in and ultimately you don't want to go in with it sort of already set in your head and you're just trying to corral people to your way of thinking, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I find that that, I, I disempowers your team, you know, um, disenfranchises them, disengages them. So it's really, you know, I spend a lot of time in what's the framework, how do we understand what strategy needs to develop, and then how do we bring the voices of our people to life. Okay. You touched on that you, you've got sort of like a bit of a um, framework on communicating with your team. Yep. Talk a little bit about about that. Again, there's just a few beliefs in that. One is, is that uh, you know, I believe leadership's a contact sport. So I've got teams at the moment in Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne. And so I like to 
so at the start of a year, the start of a, a quarter, the start of a half, it, it really depends. I think a lot about organisational narrative, like what's the story we need to unfold through the year? And then as I'm doing face-to-face sort of, you know, town hall style meetings, how does each one of those line up to the to the overall organisational narrative that's, you know, that, that I've sort of tried to tried to steer us through? So, if that, so I try and take a strategic approach to the communications to start with, that's the first part. You know, then there's the rigorous part of it, which is, you know, making sure that I'm doing them, you know, I like to do a face-to-face every single month in each location, which sort of means that I'm almost doing it every week, right? And, and I think that's really important for a couple of reasons. One, one is, is that you're standing in front of your people, you know, in a vulnerable way. And you're talking about the sort of the wins we've had, talk about the challenges, you've talked about, you know, sort of where we're heading. But you also give them an opportunity to give feedback in real time. It becomes a dialogue as opposed to a monologue. And I think that's really important mm-hmm. in, in that, that forum. Some of the other things I like to do is I do a monthly uh, Q&A over Slack. And, you know, people can ask questions directly in that and so they can, you know, have them attributed. Or I, I use, a, in, in those those sessions, I use a moderator. People can, can anonymously ask questions, you know, via the moderator, you know, and I respect the anonymity that, that sort of, you know, because I think the more you respect that, the more courageous people are able to be in their questions. You know, I'd love to get to a point where, you know, no one needs to ask anonymous questions because there's no sanction because you're asking questions. You know, it's, you know my job's to answer those questions and make sure that you have all the information that you need. I find the Slack Q&As really, really good. You know, I think we get a lot of feedback from our people that they find them engaging but meaningful because, you know, you're answering the questions out there that probably everyone's thinking about. The sort of... the, the the other part that I do is I do written communications each month, and I do two sets. One is is a sort of a recognition piece. So we we use Slack to uh, you know I b- believe that peer based recognition is far more powerful than you know taps taps on the shoulder from above, and so you know peers calling each other out in real time every day about the great work they do aligned to the values of the organisation. So you know we do a recognition piece each month that sort of you know again talks about you know the call outs that, that have been made for our people and you know into the spotlight it's a communication for our people uh, and then the other one i do is is more of a just a longer one that's you know overall business performance what are we seeing what are we you know seeing in the broader market you know what are some okay. of the challenges what are we seeing in the business then sort of i generally wrap that up into the same narrative that i that i use for the town halls and so you sort of bring that all together okay what that all means though is a lot of communication right you know and then we podcast on top of that um, and then plus the overlay of the organizational sort of you know comms as well I think one of the marks of success that we've had in that, you know, I'd sort of, again, treated it as a scientific problem to solve. That was how now I approached comms. So you start, you build on it, you take feedback, you know, you evolve it, you know, so that resonates with your people. We've now got a professional comms manager in the organisation. They've looked at the structure and framework that we've used in the technology part of the business historically. And they've sort of they said, well, hey, maybe we should roll that out more broadly across the organisation as a standard of communication. So it's kind of a nice endorsement that you, you, you put something together, you, you know, you approach it in a, in a structured way and then the business looks at it and go, okay, we can actually use that. I mean, it sort of becomes, becomes something bigger than you thought it was going to be. Yeah, that's really good because um, normally, I think you've alluded to this, is it kind of happens the other way around, yep. right? That's interesting. It sounds like you, you, you read quite a lot. I do. Any particular recommendations or anything that's taking your interest at the moment? Yeah, um, so I read a crazy, I travel a lot, and so I you know, spend lots of nights in hotel rooms, lots of time in planes, lots of times in, in airport lounges, and so it's always a great time for me, for me to read. I'm just reading at the moment, I'm, I'm just, just sort of in the final pages of it, called The MVP Machine. It's completely unrelated to leadership. It, it was recommended by um, our head of business operations, you know, who, who's sort of got a data background. 
the theme in it is is about baseball, and and what they explore in it is they they they've taken measurement of player attributes to this whole crazy new level. The reason baseball gets used so much for this is because it, it's a more statistically driven endeavor than probably anything any other sport, any other business anywhere in the world. Like they measure everything, and you know some of the stuff that they you know that, that they figured ways to measure was. The rotation of the number of RPMs, the rotation of the ball coming out of the, 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 the as they come as it comes out of the, the fingers of pitchers, and they found a lot of the preconceived ideas they had based on gut feeling of a century of playing baseball were wrong. And so, as they learnt to you know, measure different things, and you know, the technology become available to measure different things, they've completely changed the way that um, baseballs play, but more importantly, that players developed. And I kind of like, so the theme in it is, is that you know anything you can measure that's meaningful in your business, you can put structured programs in place to uh, in, to improve it and also differentiate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've really enjoyed that. Thinking in Bets is uh, by Annie Duke, who's a professional poker player, but PhD in psychology, fascinating book, and you know just talks about there's no right and wrong in business, all just probabilities at any point in time, and your probabilities are always changing. Um, there's a really great set of, um, there's some really great thinking in that book. I found some of the, the thinking that you know was quite profound. You know, has changed my view of the world a little bit. Which you know, that's always, you know, that's always a great outcome from any book you read, right? Mm. But yeah, on average, I'm sort of you know, um, doing about a book or a bit more than a book a week, and would be be my sort of average book a week. That's that's impressive. And one of the you know one of the things I like to do internally, we've got a library, and so you know, as I see things that are interesting or people recommend stuff. I should get the business to buy them, put them in the library as I read it, you know, or anybody in the, in the they're, they're open to anybody um, in, in the business to read. They've got a sign in, sign out sheet, so we can, not so we can keep track of the books, but you, so people can actually see what everyone's reading. It kind of makes it just interesting. It's open, it's transparent, it's interesting. But we also get people to, you know, write in the cover that they read the book, when they read it, what did they take away from it. And so it becomes kind of like a virtual book club a little bit, which is which is kind of nice. And then you know, as people you know pick up a book that, that I might have read, they'll read it and they'll say, "Oh, I saw you read that book, Brett." You know, and you have this kind of nice connected conversation, which I enjoy. Yes, very interesting. I yeah. like that. I like that. Okay, interesting. Have you ever read a book called How to Measure Anything? No. Uh-huh. Quite an interesting book. Um, I picked it up. I was trying to learn a little bit more on how do I measure things in a business yep. and, and a team. And I found it quite interesting not coming from a statistical background. Yep. So um, maybe a book you want to have a look at. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd love to. And uh, you know, it's something I'm finding with my leadership team at the moment. You know, again, I, you know, and I'll probably see this a lot in, maybe it's insular to this business. I don't think so. I think it's you know, fairly ubiquitous. You know, I speak to a lot of leaders and, and I just wonder like, you know, in business, do people actually measure the right things? You know, mm. um, we measure a lot of outputs. You know, do we figure out what the, what are the drivers of those outputs, and do we measure them? So, you know, so we're we're constantly you know, we're measuring we're proactively measuring performance rather than measuring it in the rear vision mirror. And it's you know it's kind of a, it's a question that you know I'm sort of I'm asking in this business in my teams you know in sort of in real time at the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Technology wise, yep. right? Is there sort of any specific technology that you're finding really interesting at the moment, or that you feel can change your industry or anything like that? If you just sort of say one specific piece of technology, I've been really impressed with uh, with Amazon Connect. You know, a little bit like you know when Amazon um, launched AWS. You know, it was an output of them solving a problem internally. You know, building this this great you know, cloud compute resource and then commercializing it. You know, I saw this crazy stat the other day that if Amazon were forced to split their Amazon and their AWS businesses, they'd still both be in the top 10, independently in the top 10 largest companies in the world, right? It's like, you know, crazy. 
they had the same with their call centres, and they, they, they were trying to you know deploy call centres at scale, you know, globally. Nothing out there sort of met their need, and so they built this this cloud-based um, voice solution. And I've been really impressed with what it does. You know, the, a the speed to roll out, but b you can start to do interesting things with voice that you haven't been able to do before. You know, while I'm talking, you know, to you, and you might you might fork a stream of that that of that voice through the tr- transcription service and run machine learning over it and sentiment analysis in real time. And so you can kind of see the sentiment of a call. Uh, you know, So if you're a supervisor, for example, you, you can sort of, you know, so instead of your traditional methods of, of understanding sentiment in calls, which is to go back after the call and ask customers NPS type questions, you know, you, you've got an opportunity to do that. You know, it's got, you know, voice-based chat in it. It's got locational service. It's got voice fingerprinting. They're all kind of, you know, I think from a business like, like part, part of the, the, the business of Arc, which is you know that sort of mass scale, four hundred thousand customers, voice is always going to be a channel that's interesting for us. And I think you know being able to do something me- more meaningful with voice as opposed to just pick the phone up and have the conversation, mm-hmm. then you know you've kind of lost you know every every part of that conversation post putting the phone down. So yeah, I've been really really impressed with that as as a as a solution. We've got we've got a couple of uh, proof of concepts in place internally uh, with it and we're also looking at commercialization you know opportunities you know some of our big customers are, uh, are looking for delivery partners in this kind of space that's quite interesting because I played around with I think it was Amazon Con- well with Amazon Connect about a year ago and I've not come across that many customers who's really adopted it over here so I think Australia seems to have been a little bit slow on the, on the tape tack up on it but yeah I think it once it gets legs it could yeah oh look I mean there's some interesting stats on it right you know if you look at the way at if you if you if I had to go and deploy a you know a, a contact type solution internally today you know and you'll get big providers of your Genesis's and your Vayas and, and your Cisco's you know you go through a complex you know sort of RF you know RFP or RFT do your requirements analysis you've got a big upfront capex spend You've got a, then a big mm-hmm. implementation program. You're 12 to 18 months really before you take your first call through the solution, because you've spent millions of dollars. You're going to you're going to it's going to be in place for generally five plus years, right? I think it's the same thing as is. There's still lots of co- companies that still have a lot of assets in data center, because they're only moving to the cloud at the time of hardware uh, at the time of hardware refresh, which from a financial sense makes you know that that makes perfect sense, right? But the question becomes, what's the opportunity cost of not doing it early? And using it as a competitive or differentiated advantage in the marketplace, and I think you know, it connects one of those things where you know people have sunk millions of dollars into you know big on-prem solutions, and they're probably not going to go you know go off that until they're they're ready for a, for a hardware refresh. But the challenge you got is you know all your competitors are potentially looking at the same stuff, and it, it's who's going to be first. Mm, mm, mm. Any other technologies? Oh, look, I think it's it's less about the technology. You know, that that was one example because you know it's sort of it's it's something that's sort of playing out in real time for us. I think more broadly, though, you know, the the, the whole co- the whole co- concept of, of cloud is is interesting. You know, we're seeing you know, faster adoptions to that, and you know, also on the back of that, though, the underlying you know ability to you know to orchestrate at scale is really interesting. I think you know what we're also seeing as people. You know, put assets in the cloud. You know what the role of then data analytics starts to play, and so I think you know less you know product centric technology, but more just you know broad trends. You know cloud data analytics. You're starting to see that like you know that that's becoming pervasive in in our day to day lives. You know everyone uses Netflix and everyone you know, maybe not everyone, but certainly you know large footprints of people use Netflix, large footprints of people use Spotify. 
you know, they're all these great cloud-based services, right, that, you know, they learn from your preferences, you know, based on that data analytics, you get a really personalised uh, experience and, you know, how do we get better at that kind of level of personalisation in the more corporate world? You know, what would it look like if, I don't know, airlines had that level of personalisation, predictive analysis of where your next trip, you know, is likely to be, suggestions for it, suggestions for hotels, as opposed to right now it's all passive or sits there and waits for you to you know, take some action, right? Mm. There's a very interesting at one of the Amazon conferences where Quant, the CEO of Qantas was talking about how they've used um, artificial intelligence to reduce their fuel costs and stuff like yeah. that. It was quite interesting. I think it's a it's a it's an interesting world that a world I'm personally trying to understand a little bit better um, in how you trans because uh, I think that the trick is how to take something really complex and turn that into something that's and explain it in a way that's very easy. You know, yep. I think that's that's our art in yep. itself. That actually leads to a question for me with regards to if you've got an idea for or your team's got an idea for a technology for the business, how do you go back to senior leadership and go, okay, articulate that, the benefits that can bring to the business? What's your kind of approach with that? Yeah, you know, I, I don't like to do that in a theoretical way. What I like to do is, is to run, you know, smallpox, you know, run those experiments and then bring the data on that back to the business. And so I can see something that's really tangible. And I think that that makes the conversation really much easier. You know, like I remember before Amazon Connect, one of the last big call systems that, that I had to put in, I sat down with the CFO and you're trying to explain the benefit and, you know, and he's ha- having trouble conceptualising it other than you're going to spend money on, you know, on, on putting something up front, right? Um, you know, with Amazon Connect, you know, you put in a small proof of concept, you know, you start to, you measure, you know, in that it's a consumption-based model, right? So you can you can predict more accurately what your total consumption cost is going to be, how you optimise that. And you can show it clearly at scale, you know, you can articulate a clear, you know, financial benefit. You can articulate much better, you know, an experience benefit if that's the thing you're trying to focus around. Um, if you're trying to focus around a differentiated benefit because, you know, you're, you're doing something with it, you leverage your technology in a novel way in a business, you can actually demonstrate that. And so then you can bring that story of life in two ways. One is is that, you know, you give them the data, but A, you show them the experience and you get them to immerse in the experience. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they can touch it and they can feel it. And then it becomes far more than just a power, the usual power, you know, PowerPoint presentation that everyone sleeps through and that, you know, you don't get, you know, get the cut through. And then, you know, there's the one person in the room that, that's always saying, well, hey, there's always one person in the room who says, this is amazing, we should do it. There's one person in the room who says, you know, it's a terrible idea, we shouldn't do it. And, you know, you, you get these long circular arguments, right? Um, but I think as you bring these these things to life in a, in a more ten, uh, tangible way, I found it, 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 it there's, a, there's your cut through, uh, your ability to cut through increases exponential. Okay, interesting. Thank you for that. Sort of just close off a couple of questions. So if you went back 20 years and had to give yourself advice, what would it be? Probably be more open to, I kind of resisted, I literally started my job in technology 20 years ago and I always tell people, you know, as, as they're, they're moving through their career journey or, or the next opportunity, you know, to move towards something, not not to run away from something. And certainly I ran away from science, I didn't want to do it anymore. And Took the first, you know, the first place that basically had me, and I just wanted a, you know, a rest from science while I figured out what I wanted to do. But as I, as I went, emerged into that that area, you know, if you'd said to me, Brett, you're going to have this really successful career in business management and people leadership, I would have said, well, there's just no way because I don't enjoy doing that stuff, right? But you're you're 25 or 27 year old, and you kind of you've got this closed mindset about I think what you're going to enjoy and not enjoy in life. 
And I think you know the advice I give to myself would just be more, be more open to the, the experience, and then as you've experienced, then then start to make decisions. Okay. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much for your time. I've really enjoyed the chat, and thank you to our listeners. And hope you join us next time. Oh, thank you so much, and it's been it's been great being on the other side of the microphone. It's been a very different experience for me, but I really enjoyed it. And like, I hope the podcast series goes crazy. I'd love to be back. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Tech Leaders Talk Show. I'm your host, Ernst Pelser. If you've enjoyed listening to the show, please help us by rating the show on your favorite podcast platform and sharing with your friends. If you have any feedback or questions, please reach out to me on LinkedIn.